Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Best Ever You Show. I'm Elizabeth here with Jesse Cole. How are you, Jesse? Yeah, fantastic. Excited to be with you. Yeah, so excited. So, you know, I thought we'd jump right in. Um, love, love all the yellow, <laughs> all the yellow banana, everything. Um, kind of keep, I'm going to go with banana puns. I'm, you know, I'm the metaphor banana pun queen with all my books and things like that. So, um, you know, unpeel baseball a little bit. I bet you've heard that before. Um, tell, tell us a little bit about your story. Well, I grew up as an only child. My parents got divorced. You know, the one bond my dad and I had was baseball and started playing all the time. He actually bought a baseball facility indoors so it could work out year round and fell in love with the game and was fortunate to college scholarship division one baseball down in South Carolina and went down and uh, was hoping to play professional baseball and tore my shoulder uh, my senior year that ended my career but it was the best thing that ever happened to me because that took me to the front office because I couldn't play so I took a job in a small little town in Gastonia North Carolina as a general manager and my first day there was $268 in the bank account and three full-time employees and payroll was on Friday and the team had only 200 fans coming to the games so the team was failing in every every facet and I had to learn how to make the team successful. Couldn't pay myself the first three months. So I read every book by P.T. Barnum, Walt Disney, started learning about WWE, Circus Soleil, Saturday Night Live, and said that we're not in the baseball business, we're in the entertainment business. So yeah. it was there that we tried flatulence fun nights, uh, grandma beauty pageants, salute to underwear nights, dig to China nights, pregnant nights, you name it, we tried it. And But more importantly, I learned how to entertain and create fans and did that for 10 years and met my wife. She became our director of fun. And we got married and uh, went to Savannah, Georgia, and started a brand new expansion team there after minor league baseball had left. And that's where we really failed. But then we eventually figured it out and really turned the Savannah Bananas into something we never could imagine. Yeah, I, I read I read a couple things about you, a lot of things about you, actually, I kind of have you memorized. But <laughs> um, I want to go bring bring our audience to the Cape Cod League with you sitting there um, in one of the you know more miserable moments. <laughs> and to talk about that because I think that was pivotal too. Yeah. I don't know if it's as miserable as sleeping on an airbed, you know, after yeah. getting married and having only $30 to grocery shop a week. But yes, uh, I was in the dugout and in the best seat in the house with some of the best players in the entire country. And most people in baseball world would say, where else would you want to be? Yeah. But I was bored out of my mind. And similar to Walt Disney, when he sat at Griffith park with his two daughters riding the carousel, uh, Walt used to have Saturday days with the girls and that was his day. And he said, I wish there was a place adults and kids could have fun together. Mm. And I had that aha moment and said, I wish baseball could be fun, not just to play, but to watch. And not just for the diehard baseball fan who loves watching it, but for the casual fan that maybe fans could, families could come together and just have fun where the kids don't have to be, you know, eating cotton candy or playing on in the kids zone. They can actually sit and enjoy the game because it's exciting. And it was there that I kind of took that and said, let's run with this and started creating that in, in Gastonia first. And then obviously much to a much bigger degree in Savannah. Yeah. So I have a theory. It's sometimes you have to go through life with a set of really good earplugs and a lot of bubble wrap. And I say that in everything and everything I do. Tell me about earplugs and bubble wrap to you, what that means. Well, I mean, I'd have to know what you're referring to. I mean, earplugs saying like not paying oh, attention. Yeah. yeah totally. not, not hearing things. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, for me, I've always had this mindset of whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. And so I am I am obsessed with uh, doing things differently. I'm obsessed with challenging the status quo. I get bored very easily with so many things. Uh, I, I was never diagnosed, but I probably have every form of ADD, ADHD, yeah. or you name it. Um, but, 
the reality is uh, I've learned this from many people and, you know, Walt Disney and George Lucas, they chased what their passions were. They chased their energy. They chased what fired them up, what they loved. And, you know, Walt Disney, I mean, he was obsessed with trains. He built a train station in his backyard. Like it was crazy. And that was one of the inspirations why putting a train at Walt Disneyland, at Disneyland, and then obviously Walt Disney World. George Lucas, he wanted to create a film that he wanted to watch. I was just obsessed with creating a game that I wanted to watch as well, that I wasn't bored at. You know, I've, I've played baseball my whole life. I've seen so many innings, so many at-bats, so many, uh, you know, everything, plays. I've seen it all. That I was like, I want something different, exciting, and unique. And so I just tried to create that. So I guess I'd say I had earplugs to the way baseball had always been. And, you know, now that we've invented a brand new game, Banana Ball, really challenged the way it was. And, yeah, bubble wrap. I mean, obviously, if you're talking about making noise, you know, I believe attention uh, is uh, the greatest thing that you can achieve as far as it's better than any marketing. You know, I say, uh, uh, you know, Walt uh, P.T. Barnum said it best. He said something terrible happens without promotion. Nothing. (laughs) <laughs> and so well, I'm obsessed with creating noise and doing things that are different. And if you're not getting criticized, you're playing it too safe. Too often people are afraid what other people will think, but you always have to be misunderstood in the beginning. Whenever you do something that other people aren't doing, people are going to misunderstand it. And so that's uh, maybe some of the bubble wrap. I've been creating noise with you know, a, a senior citizen dance team, the banana nanas, to a male cheerleading team, to the mananas, to players and stilts, to the banana baby, the banana band, the breakdancing coach, the twerking umpire. We've been making noise since we started. Yeah, I love I love you guys. And and the other thing I, I think I love about you too, number one, you're so um, well read. I want to I want to have you talk about the book club and things like that, that, you know, books that inspire you. But I also love the fact that you're reachable. Um, that impresses me a lot. You know, um, you you're and I think you're learning too. And I think you're open to learning as you go. I'm reading things about you. Like when you have the, uh, the van, the nursing home van pull up and everybody gets out and it takes this and that and this and that, but it turns out to be the, one of the coolest nights of your life. That's neat. I love that when things don't turn out the way that you thought they were going to turn out, but maybe even better. Yeah, that happens often. I mean, it depends on how much, how often are you willing to experiment? You know, I believe if you want to create raving fans, which I talk about in Fans First, the five E's to create raving fans, experiment constantly is one of them. Everything yeah. we do is an experiment. And yeah, in regards to Reachable, I think, uh, you know, I, I've learned that, you know, I sent an email to Mark Cuban when I was 25 years old and he wrote back within an hour. And it's ironic that he literally tweeted about us a couple months ago and said, this is the one baseball I would actually invest in and direct yeah. messaged me. It's a crazy, you know, 15 years later uh, to see that happen. But You know, I think uh, you always have to be willing to do the unscalable at first to do the scalable. And to give you an example, our first 10 years, every fan that bought a ticket, we called and thanked them. Every fan that bought merchandise, we called and thanked them. Uh, Our first tour, after every game, my wife and I would write a handwritten letter and send it out to our fans. We started doing one week videos every, uh, we don't do any of that anymore. And, And my point is, it's like, that's okay. When you're first growing, I mean, now we have, we do hundreds of thousands of ticket yeah. orders and it's just, it, it's, it's literally yeah. actually unscalable yeah. now, yeah. but at first do the unscalable to do the scalable. And Brian Chesky talks about this with Airbnb. He literally went to all of the Airbnbs in San Francisco and took pictures 
of their places and put them up on the website because he wanted high quality pictures. He's the founder of Airbnb. That is 100% unscalable. He can't go all over the world taking pictures, but you start that way. And I start, I've made myself thousands of thank you calls to fans who bought tickets or merchandise. Like I said, we can't do that anymore because of the scale, but you start that way. And I think that's what I learned about being approachable. I mean, my cell phone in the back of a fan's first book my cell phone is in there. I, my cell phone is literally at our ballpark in, in Savannah, which is crazy, but that's how I learn. I learned faster that way. And we're going to keep doing that. Well, I had that feeling with you, like my husband and I were on our dream vacation. Like we decided we don't want to do winter in Maine. We're going to go down in South Carolina and do it. And I was like sitting there and I was like, you know, I'm going to try this. This may not work, but I'm just going to lob in an email into them and see if there's any way I can reach you. And I, I had like goosebumps from head to just like head to toe. I'm like, oh my God, you responded you know, kind of thing. And so I have that feeling with you. So thank you very much for doing that because it's, it's meaningful to me. And, you know, I have that same approach. Like I wanted to create books that I would actually go in and read, you know, and buy. And that's why it's so special that you'll be in my book because, you know, I want to write all about you. And I noticed in your book, you write all about other people and all these these people that you admire. And I, I just, I love the way that you write. I love the way that you think. And I'm just, I'm impressed with how reachable and approachable you are, even at this scale. Cause I, I saw somewhere that you turned down like a million dollar offer for something. Cause you can't quite control the tickets and things like that. What was that? Was that? Well, that, was a no, that was a no brainer decision. Uh, yeah. you know, as we went to Savannah, I didn't share for the people that don't know, we only sold two tickets in our first three months. By January of 2016, I received a phone call at 4.45 p.m. on a Friday that we'd overdrafted our account. We were going to miss payroll. Yeah. At that point, we were out of money. My wife turned to me and said, Jesse, we have to sell our home. We sold our dream home, emptied our savings account, was sleeping on an airbed, grocery shopping with just $30 a week. That's what happened seven years ago. Now... <laughs> I can't even say it without laughing. Um, you know, we've sold out every single game. Our wait list now is over 550,000. So, so it's, it's every day <laughs> people join our wait list and we're playing all over the world. So, um, you know, we just came back from Texas and the wait list in Texas alone was over 40,000. 40,000 people could not come to the game. So it's crazy what's happened. And tickets, unfortunately, are selling for 10 to 15 times which what is, we're selling them on the secondary yeah. market, which is unfortunate. Tickets are selling for three to $400 and our tickets are 25 bucks. Right. So I, all these ticket brokers have reached out to me. Finally, one made this big offer to buy, you know, hundreds of tickets for every game and pay me double what the, the ticket fee was or the oh. ticket price was. Uh, it would have been over a million dollar ticket sale with $500,000 in profit directly to us. I said no immediately because it's very simple how you make decisions. And for us, the name of our company is Fans First Entertainment. Yeah. Every decision we make, we ask, is it fans first? And you can either say you are something like the companies that say they have integrity, but then they do things that aren't based on integrity. Right. If, if you are who you say you are and you believe in it, then all your decisions have to be based on that. So give an example. That was an easy decision. Yeah. Other decisions people don't even realize, you know, we pay everyone's taxes on all of our tickets on all of our merchandise, on our food and bev. We're the only oh, probably, we may be the only company in the world. Oh, Does it make financial sense? No. No. Our, 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 
our uh, financial people on our team are just like, this is crazy. We're paying millions of dollars in taxes that fans are used to paying. Well, we have no ticket fees. We have no convenient fees. A $25 ticket is $25. A $30 shirt, it's $30. If you buy a $6 beer, it's $6. That's who we are. That's what we live by. You go by our stadium, there's zero ads on the outfield. We can make millions in ads on the outfield, but I don't believe anybody comes to the ballpark to be sold to, marketed to, or advertised to. So you can't just say, I'm going to do this fans first, but I'm not going to do this fans first. Every decision that we make has to be fans first. So if I took that million dollar ticket offer with 500,000 and just pocketed that, that would go against who we are and what we stand for. You have to live by it. You have to believe in it. And you have to have stories that back that up. And most companies may have core beliefs, but they don't have stories that back those core beliefs up. And that is just one of the many stories that I'm so grateful for our team for living by. Yeah. It, it reminds me of me too, on like a smaller scale of me, because like uh, on best ever you, I don't have any ads. Mm-hmm. My radio show, it doesn't have ads. It might have ads at the, you know, that kind of thing. And it's, you get approached to do these crazy things and saying no is like instant. It's like, no, because I don't want somebody to land on our website and have to scroll through ads to read something or watch something or do something or anything. So yeah, it's, that's interesting, but I, I, yeah, I love that decision. I was like, boy, that's a, and I'm glad it was a no brainer too. Um, tell me, do you think, um, women, okay, I'm going to go, can I go all women's success on you for a you little go bit? Go wherever you want to go. Okay, have fun. Cool. I got lots of questions and they're kind of not in order because that's me too. I'm kind of all over the place, but you know, is women's success different than guys success? I'm thinking of, I, I, I want to go back, like, just use me as an example, because it's the example that I know as far as women go, with four kids and things like that. And I know you have kids now and everything like that. Is is there a different way that women succeed versus the way men succeed, moms succeed, dads succeed? Is it all the same? Is it different? Is it a give and take for both partners? Is it, how's that go? It's something I don't think about often. I get asked a lot of questions, but I don't, I don't think about success and measuring that based on gender. I mean, the reality is to me, success is success and people have different definitions of success. Generally, are you happy? Are you doing what gives you energy? Do you have freedom and fulfillment in what you do? And, and whatever that looks like, I admire and respect a female, especially parents and business leaders that are doing it at the same time. I see this with my wife, you know, we are foster parents. Um, she's running our business. She's running Airbnbs. She's running our family and, you know, she's up till midnight every night now working and then getting back in the morning and doing everything else. I have more admiration for her um, because I think a lot of men are generally very lucky um, because they can stay focused on one thing while often their spouse is running everything. And that is a, that is a different level of success. Um, that I see firsthand, but I don't have all the, you know, the, I just know what's in front of me. That's why you talk about your wife. <laughs> well, I, 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 I admire her more yeah. every single day. And I think, you know, it's the selflessness that you just it's see cool. someone that it's like, it's not about her. It's about how do I get my family? How do I take care of my family? You know, I'll give you one example and um, I'll try not to get emotional saying it. So when we had our first, we, so we had a biological son and then we became foster parents to two amazing foster daughters. And when we were, uh, when she was in labor with our son, we were in the hospital and it was, it was time. And all of a sudden the doc, the doctor came in 
and all this beeping started happening. Beep, 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 beep. And it started happening even louder. Beep, beep. And I'm like, I'm everything okay. And then all of a sudden, I see more nurses rush in, more nurses rush in. And my mind, it's crazy, but I'm like counting the people in the room. And I was like, there's 14 people in this room right now. I'm like, this is not good. And then all of a sudden, I hear the doctor go, priority one, priority one, let's get her going, let's get her going. And I, at this point, I don't know what's happening. I did see, I heard it later that our baby's heart rate was at 40 and which a priority one means they have, they have about eight minutes. They have to get the baby out or the baby won't survive. So all of a sudden, as they, um, they got her wheeled up to try to get her into surgery immediately, she turned to one of the nurses who was standing next to me and said, take care of him, make sure he's okay. And I'm sitting there thinking my wife is going through this right now we don't know if we're having a son or a girl we're keeping we have no idea what's going to happen we don't know if our child's going to make it my wife's going to be okay we had no idea and she turns to a nurse and says make sure he's okay take care of him if that doesn't tell you about uh my wife or what i think um hundreds and thousands and millions of females around the world who think about their family their husband first then you know when you look at success of what maybe someone else does in just business versus what someone that does everything else. Uh, I have a, a bigger uh, admiration tenfold versus for the females that do that kind of stuff. So anyways, that's, that's how I would answer that question. No, I I'm, I'm so happy. That's, that's what I was hoping you would, you would talk about your wife and, and everything. Um, yeah, those are scary moments, aren't they? I have, I have seven sisters and we, most of yeah. us have kids and I had a, a similar experience to that in, um, in labor, but not the C-section, just the heart rate yeah. drop thing. That's scary. So that yeah, I, I love her. You know, um, she posted your couch on Instagram when you guys got a big new couch. <laughs> she posted the big new couch on Instagram. So now y'all have room to fit on it. I just thought that was the cutest thing. Yeah. Well, it took, uh, it took, I think nine months to get it. So we, we had no couch <laughs> for about nine months. That's how we, uh, you gotta yeah. get through the messy to get to the yeah. great. But I, you know, I, I love the little things you know, the, just the little tiny, you know, I, my book to kind of throw success over and redefine it because I do think it's, I think it's the measure of your smile on your face. Yeah. I, I really do. I think it's whether you're happy and all these things. So, um, tell me a little bit about you, um, with the term amplify you. Um, we're going to talk about that in, in the success guidebook here about a- amplifying. It's one of my favorite words. Mm-hmm. What does amplify you mean to you and how do you do that authentically? Well, I believe everybody has something that makes them different, that makes them special, and it's the best version of themselves. And often it takes many years to unlock that. Uh, we're usually hiding behind trying to fit in. And once you find it, I think the key, and you, you sense that freedom and that joy that comes when you're really in who you're supposed to be and who you are, that the only thing to do is amplify it times 10 and, and you know, literally push on the gas. And so for me, you know, my yellow tux embodies it. So my yellow tux is my uniform. When I put it on, it's showtime. And, you know, it really gives myself and people around me permission to have fun, to not take themselves too seriously, to bring energy, to bring life, to bring brightness and fun and color to life. And so I wear this when I'm at work every single day. When I'm at home with my kids, I'm daddy. But when I'm, you know, in my yellow tux, it's Jesse Cole, yellow tux guy coming at you. And so whatever that is, whatever you find, and it doesn't have to be a yellow tux, it doesn't have to be a, a part of clothing or material, but something that gives you the highest level of energy 
and the best version of yourself, the superhero in you, don't hold it back. So often we hold it back because people are going to give criticism. They're going to look at you and saying, why is she doing that? Is it all about her? Why is he doing it? Is he all about attention? No, no. Once you know who I am, you know the core of who I am is to try to take care of people and be fans first. But I understand that often you have to get attention first. If you don't have the eyes and ears of people, you can't get their hearts. You have to first get the attention for them to even know who you are to understand who you really are and what you stand for. So amplifying is, again, the the key to get there is to test, 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 experiment, experiment, try a lot of things. When you first start out, fill your schedule with lots of things. And then when you get home a day, look back and audit your schedule, do an energy audit. What gave you energy and what took energy away from you? And what I realized, operations and financials and selling things and all that wore me out (laughs) doing it. But when I was creating, coming up with ideas, sharing, talking speeches, podcasts, talking about what we're doing or growing, reading, listening to podcasts, learning, that fired me up. So I fill my days with things on my energy bucket and I amplify that because it gives me more even energy when I'm around people to be the best version of myself. And I think everyone can do that, but you have to be disciplined and you have to be able to reflect. You have to be able to try things and look back and every day get a little bit better towards that main energy zone. That's the best version of yourself. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah, very. Um, and I think that's what I was going to ask what best ever you means to you. I think that answers it pretty well. <laughs> is that, would that answer that? Like, what yeah, I mean, my, my, my best version of myself is the person that is full of energy. That's literally creating, coming up with ideas, sharing what we're doing and fired up. It's not going through numbers and financials and not doing yeah. hands-on operation stuff. It's not that that wears me out. Tell me about people who want to give up. And I mean, like, give and I mean, like, give up in that moment where they're trying to do something. No matter what they do, they're just like, wow, this is just not working out. I need to do something else. Or do they keep going? Do they stop? Do they pivot? Do they do something else? Do they listen to their heart? What do, what do they do? Giving up can be great. I think people talk about giving up like it's the worst thing. Giving up can be yeah. great if you don't have a vision and a belief for where you're going. If you're just doing something because you say, hey, that could be cool and that could be fun and it's not firing you up and giving you energy and you don't have this big vision of what the future looks like, that bright, beautiful future that you see and that you truly believe in, then it's okay to give up. But for us with the Savannah Bananas, we had this big, beautiful vision of making baseball fun and making it nonstop entertainment. And even in Savannah, creating a ballpark where all your ballpark basics, your hot dogs, your hamburgers, your chicken sandwich, your soda, your water, your popcorn, your, everything was included for free. After that first night, when it took people two to three hours to get food and the lines were ridiculous, <laughs> 99% of people would give up. It made sense. It didn't work. Yeah. But what I saw is, well, what if it did work? What if, if people could get their food within five minutes, any time of the day, all throughout the game and have the time of their life? What if we were able to make nonstop entertainment with our banana nanas dancing and our players coming through the crowd and just, you know, all the fun of a game? What if we could create that? If you have that beautiful vision and you truly believe it, don't ever give up until you achieve it. And the reality is you might never, ever achieve that perfection, but keep going because you'll feel glimpses of that perfection. And I felt that so many times. But if you don't have that vision, if you don't have that belief, there's no, there's no point in fighting it and going against it. It's give it up, give up. And I hate that word, give up, move on to what's next. Test and experiment something else that gives you something that you believe in more than anything, because belief is the most powerful thing you can have in business. If you don't believe in something, uh, good luck. And I'll tell you, I, I probably, 
Emily's like, you're the most optimistic person in the world. And sometimes I didn't get crazy. I'm like, I just believe it. Like, like we're going to sell at Fenway Park. We're going to play all over the world. We're going to have a league that has, you know, millions yeah. of people watching. There's going to be kids playing banana ball all over the world. Like, I, I'm not saying it arrogantly. I just truly believe it because I've been feeling it. I've been seeing it. I've been, I already see it in front of me. You know, in Queen's Gambit, I, I love that film or that that's TV series about chess. And so many people in chess, they just see the next move. I see the whole chessboard yeah. and I've been seeing this whole chessboard for a long time. And you might see that that move doesn't make sense. Well, when you put it all together, then it does make sense. And that's where that belief comes from. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I sometimes say, well, I always say, if you, if you don't believe in your, if you don't believe in you, no one else is going to believe in you either. Yeah, like you got to see it. Um, I almost do. You, do you see it as though it's already happened? Oh, uh, no. Cause I like to feel it. Um, but I, and I, I, I think it's like, you got to see it to believe it. I, no, you got to believe it to see it. Yeah. Think of it the other way. You got to believe it. So I, I, I visualize it. I can picture literally walking out on that field at Fenway Park and turn to my yeah. dad and say, dad, look at what we did. And as 35,000 people there, I can feel that. I can look out playing in Japan in front of 50,000 people in Japan and yes. saying, wow, look at them cheering for a little small team that started in Savannah. Park. <laughs> so cool. You know, I can see all that. Um, and, but then it's, uh, you know, when I get in the moment, I try to make everything as perfect as I can. And I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with the details. So I would have that little moment of like, it's usually during the national anthem. I take a second and I look around and see the whole stadium standing and I get emotional and then I'm back into it. Let's put on a show. Yeah. Tell me about your, do you have a little bit more time? Yes, I can go a few minutes. Yes. Um, tell me about your dad. Tell us all about your dad, because um, oh, I love dads. <laughs> <laughs> well, well as, as an only child, and and my dad raised me. My mother had a, a drug problem, and oh. uh, you know everything was me and my dad. So, you know, I'm still just a kid trying to make my dad proud. And <laughs> ESPN docu series uh, Banana Land, you know, showed it at the end. You know, they uh, final episode. They they asked. Uh, you know, would your dad be proud right now? And I go, you had to go there. So of course I got emotional thinking about it, but yeah, he was always there. He was always there. He's always there. He's the first person I call. I share ideas. I mean, I just call them. Right, I'm going to cry. I wish my dad was here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I understand. But the, uh, yeah, so that, that, that's it. I think. Um, and now I, with, with kids, I want to make my kids proud. You know, I think that's, I think proud is a word that should Sorry. be used more. Got me crying. <laughs> I mentioned dad. <laughs> Well, I think proud is a word that should be used more. Uh, you know, I ask our, our team often before they send me anything, are you proud of it? And I always ask our team, I go, if something great happens to you, who do you call first? And, you know, I ask those questions because yeah. I want to know who do they want to make proud most and who matters to them? Because I asked our players too the other day, I go, guys, who are you playing for? And it was a question. It's not, you know, what are you playing for? A lot of, oh, the money, the fame. None of our guys are like that. Who are you playing for? And uh, I've always been playing for my dad. And, you know, now I play for my kids. Except my son is a big party animal fan. So that's the bananas rival. So literally he wears party <laughs> animal shirts and he's like, let's go party. I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> no, wait. <laughs> dad's with the bananas. And, and anyway, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, I think it, it, yeah. it's larger than life. You think bigger than baseball, bigger than what you do. And it comes down to the people you're around. And it doesn't matter where, but matters who you're with that really matters. And that's what I focus on. Thank you very much for being with us, Jesse. Good luck. Um, best of luck to all everything that you do, the span of bananas, the team, everybody involved. Um, I'm very grateful for your time and energy here with us today. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. All right.